This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, May 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, applications open for Sunnyside housing development, Telluride marches for reproductive rights, Valley Floor Education Day sparks scientific curiosity, and a mountain weather forecast. After months of waiting, applications to live in the Sunnyside housing development are open. We've been on the front lines of seeing how many people have lost housing over the last couple of years. And it's been really heartbreaking, but this is just such a wonderful thing to be able to inject 30 units of housing for, for our locals. So we're, we're really excited about it. That's Melanie Wasserman, housing director for the town of Telluride. The Sunnyside Project is a collaboration between the town of Telluride and San Miguel County, sitting just next to Eider Creek between Telluride and Lawson. Units in the development range from one to four-bedroom apartments and townhomes with three tiny houses. Of the 30 units, four are reserved for town and county employees, five will be set aside for existing Shandoka F-Building residents due to reconstruction on the F-Building. There's also a home child care unit that will go through a separate leasing process. As such, 20 units will be up for grabs through a lottery process. As a deed-restricted housing development, there are qualifications. Every adult applicant who is applying has to demonstrate that they have worked at least 1,400 hours within the last 12-month period. So that averages out to about 27 hours of work per week. Um, if people exceed that number, if they're more into the you know full-time 40 hours a week year-round position, that sets them up for the potential to secure more points and then get more lottery entries. That work must have taken place within the R1 school district, Wasserman clarifies you don't need to work for the school district. It's rather a physical boundary. There's a lot of other nuances to this. I think it's uh, something that when people are applying, they're really going to want to read through the lottery packets, which really lay out the guidelines and the qualifications and the rules of the lottery, um, helping to understand what, for example, income tier they fall into. For Sunnyside, there are two income tiers. Tier 1 has a maximum of 120% AMI, or area median income. Tier 2 has a maximum of 200% AMI. So, for example, for one person, that would be a maximum of $80,400 would be their income limit. Um, Tier 2 income, just kind of trying to compare apples to apples. For a one-person household, it would be $134,000 a year. Also different this go-around, applicants will need to declare their household prior to submitting the application. For example, if there's two friends that want to apply for the lottery, they have to declare that they want to live together ahead of time. They can't, they can't um, apply separately to sort of increase their odds and then add that person onto their lease after the lottery. It has to be declared ahead of time. Legal status is not required to qualify for Sunnyside, and Wasserman notes applicants will need to submit a new application, even if they've already applied for a lottery in the past. The requirements for this lottery are different than what they've been in the past for other housing developments. So 
people do have to kind of start from scratch, and um, they also have to submit taxes, which is different than in past rental housing lotteries. It's just a, a little bit more nuanced than it has been before, but uh, certainly doable. The town will be hosting a number of lottery presentations and Q&As over the next several weeks. There will be presentations in both Spanish and English. Dates and times are available in the lottery application packet. The application period for the Sunnyside Project opened on Monday, May 16th and will run through noon on Tuesday, June 21st. The lottery will be held on Thursday, June 30th at noon at Rebecca Hall. On a bluebird Saturday morning, dozens of Telluridians march down Main Street to share their support for abortion rights. Signs are emblazoned with slogans like, My Body, My Choice, I Am Not Overreacting, and Viva La Volva. Lily Doyle and Lulu Pamiali are seniors at Telluride High School and organized the march. Here's Doyle. It just kind of came to this thing where we were like, why isn't a women's march happening? Is there a women's march happening? No, let's do it ourselves, I guess. She hopes the march will ignite a fire in the community. The young women, to the middle-aged women, to the older women, just um, don't lose hope and remember that you have strength in yourself and you have strength with your fellow women that support you on this issue and that we're not alone in this and that we can, we can overcome this one way or another. Jake Burns shares that belief in the strength of numbers. Privately supporting a righteous cause is not as effective as showing, you know, public outcry. It's how grassroots works. You can't do grassroots from your living room or your couch. But living in a small, remote community, Maria Abaniel Rangel says a right to choose isn't just about abortion. It's about access to any kind of health care. Living in a small community, you talk about access and just additional barriers that come to that with transportation and lack of other resources, even in the medical field. So I hope that with our presence here today and the continuous efforts that um, the community knows that we're here. So even if we're a small town, we're a mighty town. Siento que luego viviendo en un pueblo pequeño, pues sí, este, hay esas adicionales barreras ya sea del tra de transportación, acceso al cuidado médico que se necesita para la comunidad migrante o latina, luego pues no tenemos la cobertura segura que se necesita, ¿cierto? Entonces, yo sé que somos un pueblo pequeño y estamos un grupo aquí pequeño haciendo nuestro ruido, pero ¿saben qué? Yo creo que con esto que surja la esperanza, que surja la, la atención de que estamos aquí para apoyarnos, ¿cierto? Si usted o alguien que conoce necesita ese apoyo, conozca que sí, es su cuerpo, es su decisión y ustedes, pues, o somos un pueblo pequeño, pero somos un pueblo muy poderoso, ¿cierto? Y estamos aquí para apoyarnos y pues, así. Um, The March ends in Elks Park. Doyle and Pumiali stand up on a picnic table to share some remarks. Viva las mujeres! Long live women! Quickly, they open the floor to the group. Women born before Roe, girls as young as eight years old, and all ages in between get up to speak. When I was 20, about 26, I was in an unhealthy marriage and I got pregnant. And I was smart enough to know that if my marriage wasn't working, I certainly shouldn't have a child. And I was able to get an abortion. And everyone should be able to get an abortion if they feel they need it. Several generations have grown up with the decision of Roe. Just because the Founding Fathers didn't put the language in our Constitution 
does not mean that abortion is unconstitutional. We must protect women's rights. I cried this morning. <laughs> I'm so proud of you guys. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I'm 51. I, I don't think I can have any more kids, but I have friends who've had abortions, who've had babies when they were young. I have a family member who was raped and had a baby as a result of that. It was her choice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's our choice. Mm -hmm. That's our I like to say that basically, um, we control our bodies. That's why Earth gave us, that's why Earth gave us limbs to control ourselves. Like, I put on pajamas this morning, didn't take them off. I grew up in a very conservative, Vietnamese Catholic household. So I have been told my whole entire life, I did not have control of my body at all. So you know what I did? I had to move states, I had to move countries in order to feel like I regained my rights to my own body. And I love that you young folks are showing up and reminding us older people what it means to have this fire. The U.S. Supreme Court is expected to make its official ruling on Roe v. Wade later this summer. If the court overturns the case, 21 states are expected to ban or severely restrict abortion. Earlier this year, Colorado passed legislation to guarantee the right to abortion in the state. Body sovereignty now! Body sovereignty always! Walking out onto the valley floor on a warm, albeit slightly smoky, Monday morning, small groups of kindergartners, first and second graders tromp through the open space. It's Valley Floor Education Day. We learn about birds, we learn about invertebrates, we learn about river flow, we learn about the spruce forest, and we learn about the history of the valley floor. Um, the people from the museum, uh, from the history museum are, are um, are bringing their history lesson to the to the willow section. That's Sarah Holbrook, executive director of the Pinhead Institute. It's cute to be able to see the kids' faces when you say, you know, this is your valley floor. You know, this is yours. They're like, what? Yeah. So it's it's our valley floor, right? We live here in Telluride. We get to um, to experience it and learn from it, and it's just wonderful to see the kids' faces light up when when they get onto the grass and see the goose poop and <laughs> see the birds scopes and see the bugs that come out of the pond and um, and they'll learn lessons on water flow, hydrology, the river, all that kind of stuff. It's a great it's a great day. I'm super psyched for it. Pinhead along with Sheep Mountain Alliance, the Telluride Institute and the Telluride Historical Museum are collaborating on the day. Over at the pond, students learn about habitat and birds. First things first, what is a habitat? Thanks for raising your hand. A habitat is somewhere where an animal lives, like a forest, a swamp. Ooh, those are great examples. So a habitat can be somewhere where an animal lives. It could be where a plant lives. Vicki Phelps is teaching about invertebrates. We found qu quite a bit in the pond. Um, normally we find all kinds of cool stuff in the river, but the flow is so high. It's really hard to get your <laughs> grip with a kick net and and clicks at things, but um, we found some mayflies and leeches, scuds, uh, worms, um, 
back swimmers, uh, boatmen, which have these cool paddle-like appendages. She hopes Valley Floor Education Day helps foster appreciation for the landscape and a better understanding of how everything is connected. This is sort of a, a icebreaker for the Valley Floor. They, they, then they can come back with their families and share their excitement and their knowledge. Moving to the river, there are gotcha. beaver homes to explore. Um, cool, so this is a burrow. And what else? Beavers build dams. And what else do they build? Oh, a lot. Yep, she's Major. got it. Stream flow to understand. Okay, so this is a really special feature of river. It's the eddy. This little spot in here is something we call an eddy. And often the water is very still, or it will actually flow upstream. Stepping back into a willow grove, students make bracelets out of willow, learning about the Ute people who used to summer on this land. They had what we call a symbiotic relationship. Can you say the word symbiotic? Symbiotic. Yes, so that means that even if they were going to take from the land, they weren't taking more than what they needed to survive. Vivian Hartnett, she's six, likes coming to the valley floor to look for treasures and fossils. I really like to do a lot of fun stuff down in the valley floor. Today, her favorite part is learning about the beavers. Rivers are really important to beavers and things that like to live in the water. And the trees are really important for elk, and the, everything is important for nature. Vivian's mom, Amy Hartnett, is along for the field trip as well. For her, Valley Floor Education Day helps children get a better understanding of the place they live. I think the more that kids can learn about where they live and the importance of ecosystems, people that have lived here before them, animals, it just helps them realize that they're um, a, a bigger a part of something bigger, you know, and it makes them want to care for things more and respect everything from, you know, the big mountains to the, the tiny little bugs that, you know, live on the valley floor. Everything in between is very special and it's great for them to learn at this age. It's really important for them to learn so young. Telluride celebrated Valley Floor Day on May 9th with a banner on Main Street, recognizing the 13th anniversary of the valley floor becoming open space a community treasure available to explore for generations to come. The West End Pay It Forward Trust is sending money into the community. WEPIFT recently announced it is awarding $50,000 to support community and economic development in the West End. The Nukla Natarita Fire Protection District received a grant to purchase Wadland firefighting gear in addition to new equipment for EMS to respond in remote areas. Grant funds are also going to the new Natarita Town Park project in addition to sewer system improvements for the West End Visitor Center and a new electric charging station. Other grantees include a new bike shop, Paradox Cycle, in Natarita, the Dominguez Escalante Expedition Educational Project, efforts to bring Dolly Parton's Imagination Library to the West End, and funding to support the annual Hanging Flume 50K race. The West End Pay It Forward Trust was created in 2013 with the mission to improve the West End communities now and for future generations. Artist Anna Brones will be coming to the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery later this month for an installation in collaboration with Mountain Film. 
According to Brown's The Show, called Flow State, is a, quote, exploration of place and process through paper, an exhibit in paper cutting. Brown's created the poster for the 2022 Mountain Film. She is a writer, artist, and producer, and has been involved with Mountain Film since 2014 through her various creative pursuits. An opening reception for the exhibit will be held during the special Mountain Film Art Walk on Friday, May 27th from 5 to 8 p.m. at the Telluride Arts HQ Gallery's new space on Main Street. The gallery is open most days from noon to 6 p.m. or by appointment. The Colorado Legislative Session is officially wrapped up. In the final installment of Capital Conversation for this session, KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz shares the highlights. Hey, Scott, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. So the Colorado General Assembly closed up shop last Wednesday. Um, can you paint a brief picture of, you know, what that final day at the Capitol looked like? Right. Well, they went up to the wire this year. You know, some some final days we get at least a couple hours uh, to spare. But this was just uh, minutes before midnight when they, they wrapped everything up. You know, the, the final day will be remembered this session for those um, kind of intense negotiations over this uh, fentanyl bill uh, trying to um, really address this crisis that has has killed so many hundreds of Coloradans in in recent years. Um, So they, you know, they got that across the finish line. Um, They got all of the uh, American Rescue Plan money across the finish line for affordable housing, mental health programs. Um, you know, it, it, it just really, one thing I'm, you know, reflecting on a couple of days after this session ended is just kind of this return to normalcy at the, the Capitol. You know, the last few sessions have been marked by the coronavirus pandemic, but, but this was really the kind of a turning point for lawmakers, you know, to be able to focus on some of these forward looking you know, issues. In the end, Governor Polis was very thrilled with, with what got done. There's no whispers of a special session and, um, you know, but immediately we're, we're kind of turning our attention to election season. You mentioned some of the bills that did make it through. Were there any pieces of legislation that didn't make it through that you were surprised didn't get to the governor's desk? I think the biggest surprise for me was the failure of some very notable uh, wildfire response bills. Uh, earlier in the session, you know, we heard testimony from people saying Colorado did not have enough resources uh, to investigate the causes of wildfires. And and supporters of this push to, to invest more in these investigations, they said, you know, it's important to understand why they're happening um, and what's causing them so we can better uh, prevent them. Um, that legislation did not advance. It it was one of um, you know two that that I'm aware of, including this one that would have bought you know new cameras to to be installed in very remote parts of the state to constantly monitor for them. Um, that that ran out of time, and sponsors say they they couldn't find the money. So I I was surprised you know in a session that you know started just days after the Marshall Fire became the most destructive in in state history that. You know these these two pieces of legislation, which in the context of the entire budget probably accounted for you know a small amount of funding, um, didn't make it across the finish line. 
when you look back on the session from a, you know, personal experience as a reporter in the Capitol standpoint, what was your favorite part of this session? Um, gosh, that's, that's a really tough question. You know, I, I think for me, it was, you know, again, I got to talk to, you know, people outside of this building about, um, you know, legislation and, and how it would impact their lives. You know, for example, um, I, you know, I took a road trip to Salida and talked to the Chafee County clerk, Lori Mitchell, um, very early in the session, you know, she faced some very scary threats following the 2020 presidential election and some of these election security bills, like the one, you know, putting in new protections for election workers and, you know, increasing criminal penalties for people who threaten them. You know, it was, it was a very emotional interview for, um, for a number of reasons, but she told me, you know, she was thinking about not running again. So just the power of, um, what people are experiencing and some of the issues they face outside the building to kind of be able to follow that, that thread to legislation that's in the works, um, and see how it, you know, might impact people's lives. Um, I think was, was very rewarding and, and some of the things that all remember most. Obviously, you'll keep working throughout the rest of the year, but the end of the legislative session is a big wrap-up for you. Um, are you going to get to do anything fun or things that you're looking forward to this summer that are maybe less uh, government-focused? <laughs> yes, totally. My uh, my fly fishing uh, day count will uh, definitely increase here in the next couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to getting out of uh, cell phone range. But, you know, also this is the time of year I'll get to take some cool reporting road trips and follow the impact of legislation, you know, far beyond Denver. So just the ability to um, get to travel, whether it is for, you know, uh, just my personal life or, you know, for work, I think is what I'm looking forward to the most. Well, you've definitely um, earned yourself a break. So congratulations on wrapping up this session. And thanks so much for taking a minute to chat with me today and keeping up these conversations to keep our listeners um, informed and updated throughout the whole legislative session. Of course. It's been my pleasure, Julia. And thanks. Thanks for reaching out. That was KOTO Scott Franz reporting from Denver. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Tuesday should be mostly sunny during the day and partly cloudy at night with a high near 70 degrees and a low around 40. Wednesday, there is a 40% chance of showers with mostly sunny skies and high near 70 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Wednesday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-40s. This has been the news for Monday, May 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.